On today's episode, Dave Stahoviak and I revisit the topic of personal knowledge management and discuss how our processes have evolved. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Welcome to episode 67. I'm excited to be welcoming back Dave Stahoviak. That last name may sound familiar to you. It's my last name. I am Bonnie Stahoviak. And Dave's been on the show many times before. And welcome to you, Dave. I'm glad to be back. And we have some new listeners, though. So that's why I'm, I'm mentioning who you are and, and that you've been here before. We have a lot of new listeners. And the article that was featured in the Chronicle has uh, certainly... Uh, attracted a bunch of new folks listening to the show. So thanks if you're listening uh, for the first time or one of the first few times. And if you are listening forever and a day, welcome back. And if you have no idea what article we're referring to, I will put a link to that in the show notes. It was James Lang who wrote an article about what he has benefited from by listening to the podcast. And it was such an honor to have him write about it in such a gracious way. And I'm, I was really touched by it and honored again that, that he would express that. So the notes will be at teachingandhighered.com slash 67. Dave and I are going to talk a lot about tools. So this would be a great time to get those show notes. And at the end of the episode, I'll mention how to get them automatically in your email every week. We're not going to go back and completely address personal knowledge management, but I am going to be linking to in the show notes to Harold Jarkey, and he is the guru on knowledge management that I always start out with. And he defines personal knowledge management as a set of processes that are individually constructed to help us make sense of our world, work more effectively, and contribute to society. And it's a lot about having autonomy in your own professional development. And I know for both Dave and I, we get really jazzed about it. And I'm constantly tweaking my system, wanting to make it even more valuable. And we're going to go through his paradigm, which is seek, sense, and share. So we go and find all the information. It it comes at us, or we go out and, and look for it and seek for it. And then we want to make sense of it, not just now, but we want to have it make sense in the future. And we want to be able to share and add and contribute to that, that great body of knowledge. So we're going to be talking about the, that same paradigm that we did back in an episode more than a year ago. Actually, a couple of episodes we, we went through in that. And we also had a couple of librarians join us, too on a third episode. So we've, we've covered this before. I will put a link in the show notes if you want to dive even more into this topic. And this is something that is, I think, a real challenge for a lot of us because we've got the good problem of having a lot of great information out there that comes to us on a regular basis through colleagues, through students, through our professional associations. And the challenge, though, is is that how do you make sense of all of that and capture it in an effective way? And so uh, hopefully we can walk through what we do in order to do that, Bonnie, and uh, and how you know we get that, then share that information with the world, too. 
When it comes to Seek, both you and I on the episodes that we did previously, we both make use of Twitter quite a bit and talked about that as a value. One of the things that I have tweaked in the last actually couple of months is since we had the guest on Peter Newberry from UCSD, and he really challenged me and challenged all of us to diversify who we follow on Twitter. And one of the things that I've been doing is following more people who are engaged in the Black Lives Matter movement. And that really did change my feed and has introduced some some good perspectives to me and some important things to have in front of me as I perform my own knowledge management. And I, I like that tweaking and I want to continue to do that even more and, and diversify that even more. It's hard to do without making it too broad, though. I, I limit mine, <laughs> silly as this is, I limit mine to 208 people, which happens to be my favorite number. And I'll tell that story some other time, not on this episode. <laughs> so funny. I did not know it was 208. Well, um, right now it's 207, but I, I got that one that I'm just that one waiting spot. for. Someone could, someone could write in and say, I would like that last spot of yours. It's tough because there's so many great people out there on Twitter that are sharing such great information. Yeah. And I think that's the key for me as I try to really limit it down. So the way I think about what's incoming is, of course, there are things I get like an email from someone or a message and say, oh, here's an article that you maybe interested. And often I will get those into my system. So I do review them. Um, But just as far as like general things that are coming my way, if it's something I for sure don't want to miss, I'll subscribe to it with RSS and I'll use an RSS reader to make sure that I capture those really important uh, sources of information. And for things that are maybe less important or it's not critical that I see everything, those are people or organizations that I'll follow on Twitter. And I tend to follow more people on Twitter. And I try to um, you know, if something's not interesting me on Twitter anymore, I'll un- you know unfollow and then I'll follow someone else. And so that gives me a pretty broad sense of what's out there in the world. And I do find a lot comes through those two sources. Feedly is the back end for both you and I, as far as capturing those RSS feeds from various blogs and news sites. And I like to read my news via Feedly on the, an app called Newsify. So you think of Feedly as the back end that's tracking which posts have been read and unread, and then Newsify as the one that just has the interface that I like the look of it. I particularly like the dark mode because I read a lot in bed before I go to sleep. And they say that that light shining in our eyes is not so good for the, I think it's melatonin, I think. I shouldn't really say anything like that on this show. We have a lot of really smart people who are going to go, that's not at all what it is. I just know it's not good and I shouldn't do it. There are a lot of smart people listening to the show. And I'm sure someone will email (laughs) a good article, which will then go into our system and we can share, right? That reminds me, actually, I've had a couple of ongoing dialogues with nursing professionals, nursing instructors, nursing professors, and then have just had a really nice email come in this past week from a nurse in Qatar. And I was thinking, oh, I really should have people who teach in nursing programs come more on the show. That's something I really should go out and seek. And I thought, uh, you're married to someone who's taught for years in a nursing program, although you are not a nurse yourself, you teach. I, I am not. I've taught a few years the education and leadership parts in a graduate MSN program. So yeah, yeah that's oh, been welcome. a lot of fun. Welcome, my nursing <laughs> I am, professional. I'm glad to be here. Small world. It was funny when we've gotten a few of those, you've gotten a few of those emails and shared them with me. It was, uh, it was fun to get connected with people all over the world and see what people are learning. Next, we have Sense. And since we last recorded, I jumped ship. And I now use the same bookmarking service that you use, which is called Pinboard. And you shared about Pinboard previously, and I tend to not always trust you when you first 
start using a tool because you'll switch to one and switch to another and then switch to another. And I, I'm very loyal with my tools. And but I could I couldn't say better things about it. You and I both pay a little bit of money each year to have everything that we save on Pinboard be archived. What that means is, is that if a site even went away completely or a page link got broken or something like that, all of the information, every single page that we have saved is archived and backed up on the pocket servers. Yeah, you mean Pinboard. I'm... <laughs> Did I say how many times? Pinboard. I do mean pinboard. Let could we back up maybe just a little bit so people yes. know what pinboard is. So yeah. for those who are wondering what is that, um, one of the things you want to do, I think these days, is to have some sort of repository for where you save your links of things you find online because most things we find these days do have a link to it. And so pinboard is just a service that allows you to basically catalog and have a library of those. And and it also gives you the option if you want. And a number of the services do this to share that library with others. So I can, for example, go to Bonnie's Pinboard account. It's available publicly. In fact, you'll probably put a link to the show notes and look at you know what she's tagged around things like higher ed or education or parenting. Um, and I find that that's a nice way to share knowledge with other people. And you know, if we're having a conversation, someone says like, "I got an email today. What articles do you know on interviewing someone?" Well, I've the last year I've tagged a bunch of articles on that, so I don't know them off the top of my head. But I can give the person that link to the, just that specific tag of articles, and they can pull up that on my account. And like you said, this particular service we pay like ten bucks a year, and it also catalogs all of those and saves them. So if they disappear, that they're still there as well, the full text of of all that information. So it's just a good system. The key is to have a system. So whether you use something like Pinboard or Delicious is another popular one is to have some way to catalog what you're finding online because you don't want to save that stuff in like your email account or try to bookmark every site. That's just, that just becomes laborious. It is great, as you said, because we can tag things and an article can have more than one tag. For a while, I was doing a lot of bookmarking of topics. In fact, for years, I have been on instructional design. But then within that, there's universal design. So I can have an article that's both about instructional design and also about universal design. And I was corresponding with someone over email, and they had a particular interest in universal design. And I'm just able to send them a single website link. And it's every article I've ever saved with that tag plus all the ones that I might save between now and yeah. forevermore. That's really powerful because it, it constantly can update. You can actually even subscribe to an RSS link of somebody's pinboard bookmarks. Yeah. If I wanted to do that, if I wanted to have just know what's what have you saved lately about some particular leadership topic, that could even come into my Feedly, my Newsify. It, it's a really powerful service and I way underutilize it, but uh, but Pinboard's definitely something to check out. Pinboard.in, I think it is. It says social, what does it say? Social bookmarking for introverts or something like that is the tagline. Hmm, I don't know. I don't it, know. It's something about, it's something. It, I'm not sure why hmm. for introverts, but anyway, that was just appealing to me. It's fun. As far as using a tool like Pinboard, another popular one among educators is Digo, D-I-I-G-O. It has many of the same features as a Pinboard does, although it even saves annotations where if you were to highlight or put a sticky note or some kind of a, an annotation on a site, those would actually be saved and then you can share those with others. I just have never, I've never taken that step to want to have that. And, and, and that, like I said, I don't like to switch too much. But the, what I have done with refining my personal knowledge management system over time is to just everything goes in pinboard. Everything goes in there. And the tighter I can make my workflow to get things into there, the better. 
whatever service I use to read things, if it doesn't work with Pinboard, I'm not going to use it. Newsify, I'm reading an article, I go, I click uh, uh, on one of the icons, I say save to Pinboard, I type in any tags that I want, and it's saved. The other thing about Pinboard is you can email to it. Dave mentioned email as being a terrible way of storing our bookmarks or articles we want to save. I can forward an email to Pinboard and have it saved that way. A couple of other things around, oh, do you want to say something about Pinboard? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say for those who are uh, Apple fans, and I know we have a lot of them in the community, um, if you use an iPad or an or a, um, iPhone, there's a great app called Pushpin, which is fairly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It's three or four bucks. It's the best app on iOS for Pinboard. And the great thing is you can be browsing things on your phone or your tablet, and you can use it as an extension. So if you're on a web page, you can just hit the extension button, save it right into Pinboard, and it syncs right up to the account. It's really cool. And you can tag and do all of that right from there. It's very powerful. Within PKM, when we're talking about making sense of things, we want to have a place for things. We want to have a catalog. We want to have a system that makes sense to us and that will have this knowledge just become richer over time. And one of the things that I started doing is really getting in the habit of making lists inside of Evernote. I have an ongoing list of potential podcast guests. Every time someone sends me a suggestion for a podcast guest or a podcast topic or blog topic, I've got lists for that and I can easily add that in. And then I also have conferences. Every time I hear about a conference, even if it's one I missed, because unfortunately, I'm really good at finding out about conferences I want to go to after they happen. I'm (laughs) I'm seeing it on Twitter going, these are my people. (laughs) I want to be at that conference. Well, I'll put it in the list of conferences because I actually have it now in my academic year preparations to go through the conferences list and then identify what are the dates for this coming year, which ones might I want to apply for professional development funds for, et cetera. Smart. And then I'm doing the same thing with journals. When I see an article that's been posted in a journal that looks like it's really of interest to me and and might I might want to write for that publication sometime, then I will add that to that list. And I also have that in my academic year review too. I use Evernote in a similar way. I like to think of Evernote as kind of like my virtual bulletin board. Like if I was in an office and I didn't have a computer, like what would be things I would put on a bulletin board. And so Evernote is those kinds of things like lists of future guests, of conferences, of ideas, of uh, even things like things like I see something that I want to buy for our son, but it's not like he has too many toys right now. So <laughs> like, okay, maybe that's a good like on the Christmas list. And I've got a list of like future gifts for kids of just ideas when inevitably three months from now, I can't think of anything. So it's just stuff just kind of like my brain dump place goes into Evernote of things that don't work other places or there aren't good systems for like Pinboard. I'm cracking up because one of the things I knew people said was hard about parenting is that they always want toys and you know how difficult that is when you're in the store. I've not found that to be anywhere near as hard to deal with as just dealing with myself and all the things I want to buy for him. <laughs> there are so many great toys out there. Yeah. And so many great apps too. Mm. Yes. There for are. kids. There are. Yeah. It's tough. So lists, good, good thing. And then the last part of sense that I've really evolved in my PKM practice in this past year and then some, I have to get real about Pocket. Now, I accidentally said Pocket earlier. Let me tell you what Pocket is now. Pocket is a electronic pocket for saving articles that you want to read later on. And just like Pinboard, it's really easy to get things into Pocket. I'm inside of my RSS reader, which in my case is Newsify. 
and or I'm on the browser, I'm on my Chrome browser, and I see an article, I, oh, that looks great, or a video I want to watch, it is a single click, and it automatically stores inside of Pocket, and it's just waiting there for the next time I'm at a doctor's appointment, or the next time I'm somewhere early, or having to wait for something, and all of that wonderful reading material is available to me. It's a wonderful service. It's also just a huge hole for me that kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I was never going in. And it became one of those mental things where I thought, Oh, I'm not going in there because it's just going to be reminded of what a cob's webs mess that is of a tool. And what I just decided to do, I went in probably three weeks ago, and I marked everything as red. Oh, you did the purge, huh? Well, I mean, I did actually skim every single headline, but I just forced myself. It was this quick skim and I didn't allow, I think I only allowed myself to save a talk from Audrey Waters, a video that I I really still want to go back and watch. But really, I I really just zeroed it all out. Like they talk about zero inbox. We've talked about that on the show before. I zeroed out my pocket, getting real. And I'm going to add that probably to my monthly review now. If I haven't read it in a month, it needs to go and that needs to be a really useful tool to me. And I'm finding that, that that's really nice. I can kind of have that as something I can go in and use more often. I use Instapaper for almost the same thing, which is the other service that's like Pocket. And I also have the same struggle of always having a lot of things in there. So it's when I find something, then it goes to Instapaper and then eventually it goes to Pinboard after I've read it in Instapaper because Instapaper is the best place to read it on the iPad, which is where I do most of my reading. And I have a couple hundred articles in my queue right now, but... It's there's lots of good stuff there, so I don't know. Maybe I'll go through and purge at some point here too. I'm working through there gradually. When Dave and I do our sharing, a lot of it takes place on our blogs, and we also then will tweet out the blog posts that we have. And one of the ways we've automated that is through a tool called Buffer. And the website I will have in the show notes, but it's bufferapp.com. What Buffer app allows you to do is to whether it's blog posts that you have written or blog posts that other people have written that you want to share is to schedule those out. And if they have some default scheduled posts where you can just click a button, you can even just be right inside of Twitter and click on buffer and it will post it in into a queue to the times that they have found are best for tweeting. And it's not just Twitter. It's also LinkedIn, Facebook. There's a whole bunch of others. Yeah. But those are the big ones. And when I post an episode, people might have realized this, I'll, I'll have a bunch of graphics of quotes of that people have said, and then I'll just send out probably six or seven different quotes from each episode with a link to the episode notes on Twitter. But it's not all on the same day, but I'm not sitting there when it goes out. It's already been pre-scheduled. I mentioned that you can have it queue them up according to their algorithms, but you also can schedule them at a particularly designated time for you. I find that a lot of people that tweet in my community tend to do so really early in the morning. We're here on the West Coast in the United States. And I find if I even do 6am, I get a lot of people that start to have a conversation. Yeah. And you can schedule all that that's specific for you once you get that account set up. So it's a good thing to do that we're not posting all at once. And I I think um, maybe even taking a step back here too is helpful of like, why would you want to do that? So if you're active online, having a presence and establishing yourself as an expert in a particular area is really helpful. Generally speaking, there are two reasons that people get followed on social media. Either you are uh, resourceful to people with information or you're entertaining. And if you can be both, 
all the better. Um, I'm not that entertaining, <laughs> at least I don't think. So I try to be resourceful as far as, as far as finding articles for my community and things that I think will be really helpful to people around leadership and the kinds of things I talk about on my show. And so I buff, you know, I put those in my buffer queue and those go out throughout the week and those come out of my reading on Instapaper and Pinboard and all of that. So, um, so, but that's that's part of the value that you add as part of the online community is sharing what other people have written and what resources you're finding. And I'd encourage that to be most of what you shared. You know, what you are doing or what you've written should be a small portion of that. Sharing what other people have done and and affirming others and retweeting or reposting or liking or whatever is a great way to build your community and to um, and establish yourself also with some expertise and some knowledge in that area online. One other tool that really makes a difference as you are sharing, whether you're sharing on your blog or on Twitter, is to have some kind of a graphical element. And I know many of us in higher ed may not think of ourselves as artists. I believe we actually all are artists in our own way. But if you're not graphically inclined, there's a lot of sites out there that will make you appear graphically inclined. One of them that I use quite a bit is called Canva. C-A-N, it's like canvas without the S, C-A-N-V-A dot com. And Canva has a lot of templates for things like a blog post, a Twitter header, a Twitter graphic, all different already pre-sized images, and they have templates. Some of the images on Canva are free and other ones they charge for. And if maybe you have a, a picture of the sunset and that picture of the sunset's going to cost you a dollar. But if you had your own picture of a sunset to upload, you can upload photos for free. You can add text for free. And it's a really nice graphic creator. I I use it pretty much for all of my graphics now, but I don't like to pay the dollar per image. I have done it a few times, as you well know, because you you see the charges coming through from them. I don't think I've spent any more than $20 in the last couple of years on images from them. But we have purchased bulk photos through a site called Deposit Photos, and we like their photos a lot. They do, do a pretty good job for stock photos. And then we can upload the whatever photo we want to use to Canva and then not have to pay that dollar. But Canva is great. I'd highly suggest. And we know that that tweets that include images are much more likely to be viewed and retweeted. And we do that, of course, to honor copyright law and all that. I have a great video, by the way, Bonnie, I'll send to you of copyright law. Um, it's a great one to share with students, by the way. I've shown it many times in classes on just how, how does copyright work um, and what do you need to know about the basics of that to, to make sure you're in a compliance with the law. So I'll uh, definitely share that with you so folks can access that as well, too. And for people listening that didn't hear the news already, happy birthday now. Is in the public domain. in the public domain. Which I didn't know it wasn't prior to. <laughs> I'm so surprised you didn't get that no, news. because I didn't get that news. Um, yeah, and I think that to, to part of our larger uh, purpose of, of this conversation here today, too, for the show is, you know, if you do this well, you also, depending on how savvy your students are with online and social media, I mean, you can really be a resource to your students, too, and posting things during classes. And if you have an integration with, uh, Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that as part of the work you're doing in classes, this can be part of your strategy too, as just far as how you organize and schedule and structure things. And so it's another lens to think about this through not only your own establishing, your, establishing yourself and your own brand and credibility in the higher education space, but also thinking about how you could do that for your students and really be valuable to them too. Dave, is there anything else you'd like to add about how you've evolved your personal knowledge management system in the last year and then some? 
I think the thing that I'm always thinking about is online is no different than in person in just being kind and being gracious to people and being helpful. So using people's names, thanking people, uh, giving people credit, the kinds of things that many of us are do naturally when we're in person, sometimes we forget about online. So just remembering not to forget about those common, decent, good human relations principles. And if you do that same thing online, then people are going to want to engage with you and want to connect with you. And so that would be my reminder for myself always, but also a reminder for everyone listening. This is the time in the show when we each give a recommendation. I realized I was given a bunch of exams yesterday. And one of the things that I like to do is really positively received by students and I think makes a big difference for them. When I give an exam, it is typically a 50 minute exam just based on the classes that I teach and the structure of them. And when they're halfway through, when the 25 minute mark comes, I ask all the students to set their pens or their pencils down and to stand up with me and to put their arms above their head and we take a stretch break. And I actually tell them, we're going to take three really deep breaths because some of you were getting tense as we sit there, our bodies are tensing up, and then I have them actually twist their trunk a little bit so that they can loosen up their back and that kind of thing. And it's something I haven't talked about on the show before. It seems so simple, but students really rave because they forget. They are sitting there and a lot of them suffer from test anxiety or just anxiety in general. A number of students recently sharing about panic attacks and having to be hospitalized. And it's a little thing, but we can help them just become more aware of their bodies and how they're sitting. And I think that's a, a good thing. And then for some of them that struggle with keeping time well on exams, that kind of thing, they know that at this point they should be kind of shifting over into the second half of their exam. I've seen you do that during presentation days in classes, but I don't think I've ever seen you administer an exam. I didn't know you did that during exams. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, I was just thinking of it yesterday. Awesome. Awesome. My recommendation is a service called Time Trade, which I think we've mentioned on the show Mm -hmm. previously. I am in the midst of putting together a mastermind group for uh, the folks who listen to my podcast. And so there's a whole bunch of people who've applied and I'm interviewing people by video conference. And it would be a just uh, a mess logistically to try to schedule with all those people and to find times that work for me or work for you. And so time trade is a really good resource to use if you have people that are regularly scheduling appointments with you, but you want to automate that. So especially those of you listening who interface with a lot of students and maybe need to book time for office hours, or if you need to book time with other colleagues or professionals, or you do a lot of calls, it's a really good system for that. So what TimeTrade does is you set up an account, it links to your calendar, wherever it is, either Outlook or iCloud or whatever common system you use or exchange. And it will um, you can set up availability so you have certain times that you've got blocked out where people can schedule. And what it will do then is it will look at your calendar and it will show them only the available times, not what's on your calendar, but only available times. And it's all web-based, so you just send them a link they look at a time that's good for them. They put in their information. It automatically books it into your calendar, sends them a confirmation, even sends them a reminder before the meeting. It's a great service, and it has saved me hours and hours of time in the last couple of weeks, which is why I'm thinking about it. So timetrade.com is a good resource for that if you're looking for a good way to automate those kinds of things. Thanks once again to Dave for being on episode 67. I'm glad to be here. It's so much fun. People that want to see the show notes, those are going to be at teachinginhighered.com slash 67 and a few reminders as we close our time out together. First reminder, if you have yet to subscribe to the weekly updates, 
That's where you don't have to remember to go look at those show notes. They'll come into your inbox each week, along with an article on teaching or productivity. And if you subscribe, you'll receive the 19 EdTech Essentials tools that will help you use technology to facilitate learning in your classroom. That's at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. If you have feedback about the show, that's at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. And it looks like Dave might have something to say. He doesn't. I don't. I wish I could say something (laughs) profound here. I wish you could too. (laughs) We'll look forward to hearing from all of you about what tools you're using in your personal knowledge management system and have a great rest of your week. Thanks.